In a sermon on this specific passage, the uh, German theologian Hans Walter Wolf uh, says that this is an unbelievable royal privilege that Christians have to pray. Imagine yourself that you stand in front of a door. And you know that behind that door, there are a lot of wealth, a lot of gifts, gold, silver, health, whatever. And God stands with you and says, I've got the key to this door. And I want to open this to you. Will you say, throw away that key? I don't need that. Prayer says that we're standing in front of a God who is extremely generous. Listen to what God says to Solomon. Ask for whatever you want me to give you. The New Living Translation says, What do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. We read about this amazing privilege of prayer on many occasions in the Bible. In Luke chapter 11, verse 9, Jesus says, after he taught them the, the Lord's Prayer, Ask, and it will be given to you. And John chapter 16, I tell you, if you ask anything of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Whoever stands before God in prayer stands before this amazing, generous God with bags full of his promises. Maybe we should think for a moment about the context of, of God's generosity, both here and in the New Testament. Upke Noordmans, another Dutch theologian, said that the Old Testament is the book of fallenness, the book of the fall. And if we read throughout the Old Testament, we don't see an upward curve, but a downward one. The lives of people are characterized by forgetting God. Think of our fathers and mothers, Adam and Eve. Their freedom that they had led to the terrible alienation from God, from each other, and from creation. God gave them to each other. They were equal. But because of sin, Adam now rules over Eve. The fingers are pointed at each other in paradise. Self-justification becomes the lifestyle. 
It wasn't, wasn't me. It was the snake. It wasn't me. It was the wife that you gave me. Self-justification. The place where God has placed them in paradise to be in fellowship with Him becomes the place where they flee and hide. They are now struggling for survival. Every day is a struggle to make ends meet. The earth, their partner for daily survival, is cursed because of their sin. Thorns, thistles, disasters, pests, droughts, crop failures. That's all our fault. And now, the harmony between people is distorted and replaced by hostility, murder, and manslaughter. Cain, the son of Adam and Eve, learned from his father and mother what it means to be disobedient. And the moment he learned this, he kills his brother, Abel. Now we listen to other voices, new authorities in our lives, not God anymore. From now on, it will be a struggle between good and evil in our lives. In South Africa, we have quite a few hippos. And you know, a hippo's ears are very, very small. We say, this is just the ears of the hippo. What is beneath that water is massive. What happened to Adam and Eve is just the tip of the iceberg. Through the centuries, this pattern of alienation from God, from each other, and from creation continued. And it is in this context of sin and alienation that God comes and shows His generosity to us as sinners. You may say, well, you know, we're not Solomon. We're not kings. He came to Solomon. Solomon was a king. We are not. We're just ordinary people. What a blessing that everything changed when Jesus came. That He transformed us. Yes, in our being, we are sinners. But God saves us by grace, we read in Ephesians chapter 2. And we become God's artworks. You know the story of the prodigal son. This beautiful painting that you will find in St. Petersburg in the Hermitage. It shows the same generosity of God towards us. A runaway is taken back into the father's house. A slave becomes a child. And all of this is because the heart of the father is full of love. He could have rejected us because he is God. 
But he does not reject us because he is God. That's why. When we read the full story of the Bible, we hear new sounds, new identities because of Jesus. Peter says to us, people who have received Christ in our lives, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You are kings like Solomon, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have. All the titles he mentions are an indication that we are now different. Our destiny, our calling, the direction of our lives, the orientation in our lives, it's changed. We are called, chosen, and set apart for God, for new purposes in, life, in our lives. It cannot be clearer. Through Christ, we are God's royal priests. Every Christian is part of the king's family, princes and princesses. We share in the privilege of kings to talk to God. It's not because of exceptional qualities in our lives. The Bible makes it clear. We were against the tide of God's love. God's generosity rests in his favor and his love for us as human beings. And therefore, Hebrews says, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place into God's presence by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body that was torn. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Through baptism, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been cleansed. We have been brought into the presence of God. What an amazing royal privilege we have when we pray. And once you begin to understand this absolute wonder and miracle of God's love and mercy for each one of us, why would we not talk to him? Why would we not talk to him every day, every moment of our lives? This generous God stands in front of you and says, what do you want me to give to you? Of course, this generosity, this privilege exposes our brokenness even more. Think again what he says. Ask 
for whatever you want me to give you. Do we ever take God up on his promises? Do we ever do that? Do we make time to do that? Our brokenness is that prayer has become an embarrassment of Christians in this world. That is the reality also in our congregation. Fernand Menogor said that if prayer disappears, a living religion disappears, vanishes. Some years ago, we had regular prayer meetings also after the service every second Sunday. And the remarks that we sometimes heard of good so-called Presbyterians, we don't always know what Presbyterians mean. Are you Baptists now? Why do you pray together? It's not Baptists or Presbyterians or Charismatics or Roman Catholics. It's Christian to pray together. The great Christian leaders over many, many decades and centuries were people of prayer. Great revivals started with prayer when the people of God came together and prayed. The 1857-1859 revival. Here in America, in South Africa, all over the world it happened because people came together to pray. God's people came together. Bishop Andrews spent five hours a day in prayer and Bible study. Martin Luther said, listen, I've got so much to do today that if I don't spend enough time in prayer, I will not be able to do it. We run around and think that we'll, we'll get more if we pray less. The opposite is true. Think about prayer in our church life. Our prayer meetings are attended very, very poorly. While we all should be there, all of us, every person here, if we have the privilege to come together, arrange prayer weeks, and you will see the meager role prayer plays in the life of the congregation. Prayer is more than opening a meeting or saying prayers at the beginning or end of the day. It is much more than thanksgiving at the table. Prayer determines everything and we'll see it in the weeks to come in the life of Solomon. The embarrassment becomes even worse when we look at two extremes in our lives. The one extreme is that people pray, but they don't honor God in their, in their daily lives. Throughout the Old Testament, 
we see that, that the Lord says, listen, don't, don't come and pray while your life is not in order, while you oppress the people around you. You have designated times of prayer, beautiful words and formulations, but your life is not in accordance with that. Samuel Coleridge reminds us that he who lives well and loves well prays well. The old church from the beginning always said that there is a law lex orandi, lex credendi, lex vivendi. The law of what you pray should be the law of what you believe should be the law of your life. The measure of an active prayer life is how it changes you. More than 30 years ago, I was in my first congregation and we had someone there, he's long gone now, who prayed very fervently at every prayer meeting. He prayed for the whole community. He prayed for the blacks and the whites in those days. But in 1986, when the church said the doors are open to all races, this one, this man was, was the greatest enemy of that decision. His first wife died and he, he remarried. And when he died the day, I remember when I arrived at home there and spoke to his second wife. She said that the family just told her that in his will it is said that she should leave the house within six months after she looked at him after him for ten years. Prayer and life. This man is not an exception. Our words of prayer mean nothing if it's not accomplished by a life of worship. But then there's a, another, another extreme, and that's serving God without prayer. Some people say, my life is a prayer. That's how it is. Not our words to God and, 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 and not designated times of prayer are important. But the way we live should be a prayer. And it's also sounding very right. However, the danger is as clear as daylight. We can be so busy with the world around us, with the things of God, that we don't make time for God alone. Spurgeon wrote, We can pray any time, say some people. This is true, but I fear that a man who has not designated times to pray very rarely prays. What's, what's the situation in your life? How is it with you? Do you make time for God? 
Or do you pray your morning and evening prayers, but there's nothing else that changed in your life? Prayer has become an embarrassment for the church. Sometimes our lives do not match our prayer lives, and other times our prayer lives do not match our daily lives. But the prayer life of a congregation and the individual is often an indication of our spiritual temperature. That is how it is. So what should happen? What should happen? In biblical times, people went to the temple or to different holy places to worship. And at the time when, when Solomon received this revelation of God, they were still worshiping on high places. Gibeon was one of those important heights where people sacrificed. But he went there, and the primary goal that he had was to stand before God, to have fellowship with God. And that is when he heard the voice of God. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during a night in a dream. We find it very hard to hear God's voice in a noisy world. We are overwhelmed by the many voices coming at us all the time. When you drive around, it's like voices coming all over. Buy this, do this, this is the solution. And even if we excluded those words from, from our lives, there's also the turmoil of, of inner voices that hits us with real force. Even if we go into a private place and close the door, it doesn't mean that our doubts and our fears, our anxieties and our bad memories, our unresolved conflicts and anger, our impulses disappear. The voices of our own heart would not always be silent. But Spurgeon said, whoever hears well, prays well. It simply means we have to have our ears close to the mouth of God. We have to live in fellowship with him to hear his voice and to hear the amazing generosity of God when he says to us, what do you want me to give to you? What do you need at this stage in your life? Are you willing to trust me with that? I want to speak to you I want to have fellowship with you. What do you want? Walter Luthi, the Swiss minister, 
wrote about a neighbor that they had in his childhood. And this neighbor was a bit scary. So he was very cautious of this man. But the neighbor had a peach tree with big yellow peaches every year. And he always desired one of those peaches. And one year, one of the branches were hanging over into their yard with beautiful peaches on it. And as a small boy, he sneaked out and he, and he went and he, and he stretched out to God to get to one of these peaches and then suddenly heard a voice, do you want some peaches? He nearly died. It was a neighbor sitting in the tree picking the peaches from the top of the tree and he said, how much do you want? I'll give you the best ones from the top of the tree. This is God's heart this morning for you. I want to give you the best. Are you willing to listen? Are you willing to take me up on it? Because this God is a generous God standing in front of you today and invites you to come and have fellowship with him so that you can get all the bags of his blessings and grace in your life. Let's pray together. Father, we have to say that we are sorry that we don't take you up on your generosity, that we live poor spiritual lives many times because we don't live in fellowship with you. I pray now, Lord, that you would come and touch us by your Holy Spirit to discover you once again this morning as the generous, loving, forgiving, merciful God. Come, Holy Spirit, open our hearts to you and to your voice so that we can hear what you want to give to us. In Jesus' name, amen.